So again, this, this time of year, I, I'll just say, y'all, n- no one moved up, I don't think, so I might be moving toward you. So I'm going to be in like the third row here in a couple ma- minutes. Um, so um, see, I'm going to just keep, keep coming. So um, I, I see the guys there waiting to hand out Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, if you'll go ahead and hold your hand up high, don't, don't like do this thing, but hold it up high. Um, and they will get you one. If you don't own one, please keep this one. Um, put your name in it, mark it up, put question marks where need be, and they'll be sure to uh, make, and so have that. That's our gift to you. If you do own one and you just forgot it, you can go ahead and um, leave it um, in the back on your way out. So um, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 65 first. We're going we're gonna to be in two primary passages in our time Today, but um, so I was thinking about this time, and again, Advent right means anticipation for something coming. And I think um, in order to to operate well where we are, we need to know what's coming, right? Like you can't sleep, or your kids can't sleep on Christmas Eve night because they know what's coming, right? The next day. Like, you can typically sleep, but you know what's going to be there early in the morning, and so you want to wake up at five in the morning because you know what is coming, right? So what's coming defines how you are right now. Um, I know for me, I played sports a lot, different sports in in, um, um, high school, and I remember different times when our coaches, so I I wrestled some, and our coach would cover up all the clocks in the room so that we would have to work hard now and not know how much longer we had. But, um, you know, we knew that at some point he would have to say, okay, it's over, you know, go home. But there was kind of like a psychological thing going on of trying to teach you to not think about what's to come and kind of work hard then. Or one time, this will be hard for some of you to believe, I got into a bunch of trouble when I was playing football. And um, our coach, when we showed up to practice, morning the next day he like took us through the ringer and just said get to work and I'm not gonna tell you how long you have to go and we had to do all kinds of hard exercises and different things because we had gotten a a handful of us had done some bad stuff and gotten in trouble um, that may or may not have involved picking a fight with the other team after the game and some things like that and um, so it was I just remember those like how long is this gonna last and it literally went past the second period. So he was like, I've already talked to your teachers. They know um, you're just going to be here as long as I say. And it was grueling because I didn't know what was to come. And um, this time we talk about Advent it is, is when we know what is to come, it, it informs how we live right now. And, and so um, we've gone through this series that's the return of the king without the hobbits or elves or dwarfs or um, any of that, and I don't fit any of those. So, um, so we've been looking, though, at the return of the king and building anticipation, right, for the, the return of the king, his, the second advent. And, we've, and we looked at the, the, the first week that the kingdom is near, that when Jesus came, he said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. So we get to experience realities of his kingdom now, today, though it's not yet here in full. And then the next week after that, we looked at his is the kingdom, that you don't get the kingdom without the king, right? And so we experience the kingdom through knowing Jesus. And then um, last week, we looked at thy kingdom come, and we had a great time. We got to interview a 
couple who, I think it was just really fun. They, they actually put their trust in Jesus, and I've gotten to talk with them and stuff throughout this week. And that was a time of um, talking about what it means to recognize things aren't the way they should be. And we call out, your kingdom come, your will be done today. And then this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the forever kingdom. And we're just going to build our anticipation and our excitement for what is to come, for what heaven will be. And um, I just want to kind of warn you what we're going to do is this isn't going to be a time where we're going to end with a list of things like, okay, do this, don't do that, do that, check, 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 I'm all good. Um, This is more going to be, think like when you watch a movie and you just walk away kind of with built conversation of like kind of your imagination is sparked and ignited and it, and you just want to you want to talk about it you want to think about it and so by God's grace I trust that through our time in his word and I'm going to read some different quotes from some different people that we will have a little better understanding of the kingdom of heaven of what is to come the day we look forward to when the forever king the perfect king ushers in his forever kingdom but, but as we've kind of talked about some before, we tend to have a pretty pathetic view of heaven, right? Our, our natural understanding is, I trust Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner, I've done bad things, I need to put my faith in Jesus, and then one day, I just kind of live this life, and one day I'll be zapped up into heaven, kind of, you know, here I go, and God will crumple up this world and throw it away, and something will happen. I'll be in a forever choir concert wearing a robe, which is great for like three of us in this room, and the rest of us who don't love singing all the time and are like, okay, I guess that's good. But um, it's so distant. That's not really the story of God. As we've talked about, the story of God is about God, the hero and the author, um, through creation and then fall, that we turned our back on God and everything got broken. And then redemption, that Jesus came to restore us to relationship with God through faith in him and his sacrifice on the cross. And then restoration, the end, the perfect kingdom. And yet we kind of settle for Um, something very um, demotivating and also really unbiblical. So to help us understand that, I'm going to actually just start off, I'm going to read a quote from a guy that I've actually gotten to know, Mike Coheen. He's a good friend um, and uh, an author. Some of you have read some of his books. One, he wrote The Drama of Scripture. It's a book that we do in our leadership development. So he um, explains Um, the forever kingdom in more helpful ways. So look with me here. We'll have it up on the screen, I believe. He says this, Revelation 21 is a vision of creation completely restored to its original goodness. This vision of God's ultimate purpose may differ substantially from what we have thought it would be. Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, does not give us a picture of Christians suddenly transported out of this world to live a spiritual existence in heaven forever. As N.T. Wright comments on this common misunderstanding, and he says this, N.T. Wright does, very often people have come to the New Testament with the presumption that going to heaven when you die is the implicit point of it all. They acquire that viewpoint from somewhere but not from the New Testament. In this restored world, the redeemed of God will live in resurrected 
bodies within a renewed creation from which sin and its effects have been expunged. This is the kingdom that Christ's followers have already begun to enjoy in foretaste. And then he says this lastly, the whole of human life is purified and even the non-human creation shares in this liberation of God's people from the former slavery to sin and death. The goal of biblical history is a renewed creation, healed, redeemed, and restored. Okay, that was a long quote, and um, hopefully we can again kind of enter in and just ignite our imaginations to see that. If, if it's a kind of zap me up to heaven when I die, trust Jesus, and then um, you just live this kind of floating, kind of weird spiritual existence forever, hear me, if that's the case, then um, what Jesus accomplished on the cross is pretty small. Okay, because if we're honest with ourselves, we've talked about this in the past weeks, every facet of life has been infected by sin, right? Relationships are broken. Creation, um, elsewhere it says in scripture that creation groans. There's the reality of sin in every way, right? In the, the roads we drive on here in Tucson, the relationships we have, um, the, often the relationship between employer and employee. Um, some of you just got through taking exams and f finals and grinding through and maybe, you know, injustice in all sorts of different ways. And if God's answer to that is just zap me up to heaven and then sing in a forever choir concert, it's, it's not very motivating. And um, if that's the case, the, the bully wins, right? We've talked about this before, that sin entered because a bully entered in and broke our relationship with God. Our nose has been bloodied and he took our lunch money and life has been marred forever, but the good news is that the hero takes back everything that is his. He restores all of creation. And the picture is that a new heavens and a new earth will come and we will live real life, restored in every way. And the bully has to give back everything and is taken care of and is defeated. And that's the picture we get of the forever kingdom. Okay, so, so let's just remember, what does it look like to live now in light of what is to come. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 65. And if you um, wanted to turn there, that's great. As I always say, there's no shame in turning to the table of contents and kind of looking first and trying to find the passage there. Um, so, so look around. It'll also be up here on the screen. And I'm gonna, we're going to read two passages. And we have one more quote just to help ignite our anticipation for the forever kingdom. And so with that, I'm just going to walk through, through this as I go in Isaiah chapter 65, beginning in verse 17. This is talking about the new heavens and the new earth. It says this, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come into the mind, the brokenness of the world. The former things will not be remembered. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. All right, hear me. I'm just going to, as I walk through this, the fact that part of my job as a pastor is to walk with couples who have lost um, a child, perhaps before it was even born, to, to, to officiate funerals of family members and children long before they're due, that's not right. 
Life shouldn't be that way. And the promise we have from God, as hard as those things are, is that the day is coming, the kingdom is coming where that will not happen. Where life will not, we won't even remember that life was once that way. And then it continues on in this, in this promise. It says, For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. So the, this is um, coming out of Deuteronomy chapter 20. I don't know if we have that side, but I'm going to jump there real quick because that, it says... Um, it says, right, that, that, that no more shall you build houses and not inhabit them or plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Um, no more shall you build a house and someone else inhabits it. And this is a reversal of the curse, right? The fall that we live in, the world that we live in, which if we're honest with ourselves, is not the way it should be. So this curse is, is um, in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let me just read it for us. It says, you shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. Some harsh, real language there. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. This is the real broken world that we live in where um, adultery happens. Where you marry and someone else enters into that marriage. As I said there, you marry and someone else ravishes your wife. Just the reality, the, the harsh term of adultery, of fornication, of broken sexual relationships in the world that we're in, of all kinds of sexual assault and um, abuse of one another. It shouldn't be that way. And, but, but, but that's the reality of where we live. Or you work hard and you build a house and you do that and then the... Uh, economy flips on its head or you build a corporation or you build a business through your own hard labor and something happens and it's taken away. I know people in this room who have stories of family members who built up companies and lost it. People who built homes and now it was they had to sell it for way less than it was worth and right and I, I don't I'm not an economist or a politician but the reality is we can just come and say it shouldn't be that way. But the hope we have in the forever kingdom is that all those things will be flipped on their head. That will never happen again. As I've said before, if you're a Christian, if you put your trust in Jesus, this is as close to hell as you'll ever be. Those things that we've just read, the, the reality, the curse of the fall, of turning away from God, that's as close as you'll ever have to experience it is in this life. But if you're not a Christian, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, those things are the result of turning away from God, of life apart from God. And this life is as close to heaven as you'll ever be. And things like this will define life forever, for eternity, if you're separated from Jesus once and for all. But the hope we have through faith in Jesus is that he's making all things new. So um, pick up with me in verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. Um, I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen very often right now. Um, the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. 
This whole passage is basically flipping on its head what has gone wrong. In the very beginning, in God's creation, it wasn't abnormal to see a lion or a wolf laying down with a lamb. But now you wouldn't see that. In this, that, that just kind of sums up that whole thing of saying, right now, things are not the way they should be. Just um, last week, I talked to my dad, and I talked to the, the couple I was able to interview, and a number of different people I've heard constantly say, that's just the way it is, right? Like, whatever you're going through, whatever hardship you're struggling through, your car doesn't start, you lose your job, and so often we want to tack on, but that's just life, right? That's the way it is. Well, we look at passages like this, and we're reminded, yeah, but it's not supposed to be that way. And the hope we have that defines our life now is that's not the way it will be. Adultery, death, brokenness, loss of job, loss of house. People that this time of year are reminded, I don't have enough food to feed my family. It shouldn't be that way. And it won't be that way. And so we build our anticipation. And so um, now we're going to, we're going to read Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, because we need to ignite our appetite, right? I don't know, I know we have some younger people in here who are probably more naturally creative, but, but I've found at least the longer you live life, the more jaded you can become. You can just kind of accept, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. So we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of what is to come, of the incredible future that Jesus has promised us when he comes to usher in his kingdom once and for all. Because this broken world is not the way it should be. And we need to fight against growing accustomed to the way things are. And, and so we need to look forward to the forever kingdom that our forever perfect king will bring in. So let's read in Revelation 21 verses 1 through 5. And again, ignite... Um, Engage your, your creative imagination to dream for this day. The author of this, John, is shown a vision. And, and, and this is what he sees and he shares with us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. If you were here the first week of this series, remember we, we talked about our broken view, this kind of skewed version of Christianity that we have is of this world and then kind of we die and we kind of get zapped up and we go into this weird outer there world, right? But what we see here is a picture of, of the new heavens and the new earth coming and taking over this earth. And then we see as we go on, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is Jesus, from his throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things had passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy 
and true. This is Jesus. He's saying, take this to the bank. Is your life defined by what will come? By what will be? This isn't just, ah, maybe, maybe it'll happen. Maybe heaven will be this kind of whatever. I guess it'll be good, but singing doesn't sound very fun to me forever. Um, no, this is like, this is reality. It's not, it's not boring. It's something to have hope in. It's something to define our lives by right now. So look at me. I can't tell you exactly what will be in the new heavens and the new earth. But we can dream. We can build our anticipation for what's to come. Right? Like, let me, um, my kids, as kids often do, so, some of you have heard of these different things. Kids say the darndest things, and kids will just be honest, right? So, um, thankfully, kids hear this story of like, wait, so we're going to be like chubby little babies playing harps, flying around on clouds, um, that's heaven. And they'll just say it, right? Like, that doesn't sound very fun. And so my kids, we're, we're dreaming one night. We do this not every night. We're not a perfect family by every means. But um, we try to every night kind of spend some time together in prayer. We'll sing a song and we'll just talk, right? We'll just give some space to talk, to dream together. And my kids were asking, what's heaven going to be like? And my kids love sports right now. They love different things. They love Pokemon and all kinds of different stuff. And they're like, is this going to be there? Is this going to be there? And they kind of couldn't really wrap their young minds around it. And so we just went through an exercise. We said, okay, picture walking out our front door of our house. What do you see? They're like, well, I see the, the plants that we just planted in our garden. I see the new porch that we just built. Okay, that's cool. Um, and some of you helped actually build that same porch. And they're like, oh, I see our chickens. We have chickens now. We live in downtown, but we're like total hippies. We have a f farm in downtown. And they're like, okay, I see our, our ch chickens are there. There are streets. Oh, and sidewalks where we can ride our bikes and we can, you know, play games on the front porch and all these good things. We're like, yeah, are those things good? Yeah, 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 those are good. Do you think those things come from God? Yeah, I do. I think those are good things that God has given us. And it's like, okay, then why do we think that those good things won't be there forever? But then we talked some more and said, okay, now all that stuff that we've seen, what kind of stuff is not good? What's bad? They're like, well, if we drive off the sidewalk on our bikes, we could get hit by a car. That's not good. Or um, our house is getting better, but it's still old, and there are still some bad things that we don't like about it. And though we love the plants that we planted, um, caterpillars are eating our you know, new, um, new lettuce that we just planted, and so that's not good. Or, oh yeah, rem remember that time that the hawk tried to kill our chickens? This is a true story. We're in there one morning about to eat breakfast, and we hear our little chickens freaking out, and our kids are like, what's that? And they pull back the, uh, the, the blinds from the window, Seriously, downtown, like less than a mile away from here, a hawk has its like talons, okay, whatever they're called, wrapped around our little chicken coop and it's like shaking the cage and the chickens are freaking out. That's kind of close to a lion and a lamb or a wolf and a lamb, right? And we're like, I don't think he wants to hug them, you know? Um, they're like, that's not good. And so we look at things like this, we're like, okay, in the new heavens, in the new earth, Hawks will hopefully be there. They're cool animals. You see them soaring. 
but I don't think they're going to be trying to eat our chickens. And the streets that are now full of potholes, according to the scriptures, will be lined with gold. Um, I, this is the one I can't get to. It talks about um, streets that are transparent, as clear as glass. I don't know what that looks like, but that'll be really cool. Right? So there's, and then my son in his creative mind, and we go to a school downtown where it's very sustainable, and we love that, but um, he wants us to like save every drop of rainwater, and they're kind of putting on a lot of pressure on us now as a family. And so my son's like, well, cars will be there, right? Are there good things? Yeah, yeah, we can drive our cars to go see, you know, grandma and grandpa. We can drive our cars for good things. But my son, like seven, is like, but don't cars do bad things to the earth too? Like, don't they send out kind of bad smoke and things like that that can hurt? And I, so I turned on Fox News and told him, no, that is a lot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I didn't enter into that fully, but I, you know, but we talked about it and said, okay, there are good things that cars do, right? Yes. But, but there are some bad things that can happen with cars as well. And so he just starts to ignite his imagination. Maybe um, we'll get to talk with God and learn new ways to have cars that only do good stuff and don't hurt the earth. And, and it was just really fun to build our imagination for what is to come. Some of you know, because you've heard me talking, um, I have a stutter. My older brother was born without arms. So, um, and though we both get to experience really fun life right now, and by God's grace, the kingdom has come. Um, a guy with a stutter gets to preach as a job. I mean, who figured that out? God has a sense of humor. But um, my older brother, who has no arms, plays the guitar for a l- 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 living. So again, it's like, what? That shouldn't happen. So you get to see evidences of God's grace here. We have friends who even go here who are in a wheelchair. Um, one guy in particular, I don't think he's here today, is the best athlete in our whole congregation. He was, he's been in the Olympics. Um, I don't know of any other Olympians in our midst. Again, kind of an irony, but he happens to not be able to use his legs. But I watched him walk on his hands down a flight of stairs. So he's an incredible athlete. But, but at the same time, um, I don't love stuttering. God has started to redeem it, but I do look forward to the day where all things are made new, where um, the, the, the track athlete who is paralyzed will be able to, to run with his legs, where my brother who's able to play the guitar with his feet, as cool as that is, will be able to like, you know, harmonize with himself, with, his, with the guitar with his hands. And I don't know what is to come, but it's good, right? So zap me up, beam me up, Scotty, view of heaven that has nothing to do with our world today is not the message the good God has given us. Instead, we get to build our anticipation. And one, uh, one evidence of God's grace is he's given us movies and books and art that can help us learn to build our imagination. And some of you may have heard of the, the Chronicles of Narnia, right? It's been kind of hijacked by... Disney, and, and if, you, if you watched it, you get an idea that it paints a picture of the story of God, but you could also watch it and be like, it's kind of about four kids, and the whole story is about those four kids, and there's a lion, and 
if you really look hard, you can see that he's like Jesus or whatever. But man, if you read the books, you see the author's intent is to help us understand the story of God from beginning to end. And so I'm going to enter into, um, we're going to read just a couple, a couple excerpts from this book from what's called the last b- battle. And it's kind of um, written to help children. Let's be honest, you and I need this help as well. To help build our anticipation for the kingdom of God, for heaven. And so the author um, calls this world or this land Narnia. And he refers to the old Narnia and the new Narnia. And so let's just enter in and read. This is as these, these young kids and uh, some of these animals are, are like knocking on the door of heaven. And this is the description we get. Read with me. We'll have it up here on the screen as well. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass look like it meant to be. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. And it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. Yes, there are talking animals and even talking unicorns. It's great. And the unicorn says this, he stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia so much is because it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up. Come further in. The new heavens and the new earth, when Jesus returns once and for all and brings his kingdom, will look a lot more like this world than we often hear. There will be grass and um, the elements and rain and there will be work, we're told, but it will be redeemed, it will be good. So it will look a lot more like this, but at the same time, it will look so different. Streets paved with gold is hard to fathom. Lions and lambs and wolves laying down next to each other is hard to imagine. But we have a promise that that's what is to come. And that kind of world defines our life right now, does it not? So what do we do now? We run. We anticipate. We live with excitement. This Christmas season is not just remembering baby Jesus born, but it's building our anticipation, our excitement for the second coming of Jesus. So pick back up with me as we read what it looks like to run. So he shook his mane and sprang forward into a great gallop, a unicorn's gallop, which in our world would have carried him out of sight in a few moments. But now a most strange thing happened. Everyone else began to run. And they found to their astonishment that they could keep up with him. Not only the dogs and the humans, but even fat little puzzle. That's a donkey in English. This guy's English. So you'll see some terms here that they kind of more free with their language. So even this chubby little donkey, or as he talks about, the short-legged Hagen, the dwarf, the air flew in their faces as if they were driving fast in a car without a windscreen. That's a windshield. The country flew past as if they were seeing it from the windows of an express train. Faster and faster they raced, but no one got hot or tired or out of breath. They got a glimpse of what was to come and they ran toward it. They were excited for the promised 
kingdom, the forever kingdom that the perfect king was ushering in. So what does that look like for you and me in this world? It means we run. We run with anticipation for what is to come. Let's read one last verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us throw aside this weight. The world that we live in that is not the way it ought to be, which we spent enough time talking about, let our lives be defined not by that, but by what is to come. And as great as that is, as great as it will be for me to talk without stammering, as great as it will be to arm wrestle my older brother who will have arms, as great as it will be to see people who are paralyzed or people who have lost young ones, loved ones, as, as great as it will be to experience streets paved with gold, it's nothing if it's without the king. So our lives right now can be defined by anticipating the forever kingdom with our eyes firmly set on the perfect king. So right now, in this Christmas season, together as a church, as a church family here, we get to build anticipation. We get to respond right now through singing and worship and prayer and excitement we get to prepare for the coming kingdom. The way we live now is like a foretaste for what is to come. If you're a mechanic, the way you operate your shop is a picture of the way it should be. It's a foretaste of heaven. The way you parent, the way you relate as a couple, depending on Jesus, clinging to the gospel in all of life, the way we gather together today, the way we meet cross-culturally, cross-socioeconomically, cross-generationally, all these things are pictures of what is to come. So right now, let's pray. Let's build anticipation and excitement for the forever kingdom that we are anticipate at the return of our perfect King Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that um, it's hard to imagine the kingdom that is to come. It's really hard for us to build excitement and anticipation. I know there are some in this room or some who have loved ones whose finances are struggling, whose life is defined by the curse, those things that we just read, that broken marriages and broken finances and broken economy and injustice all over and sadness and, and trial and tragedy. But by the help of the Holy Spirit, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the perfect King, Lord, will you build our anticipation for what is to come? Lord, will you renew our minds to be childlike? 
to imagine cars that are good, that don't hurt the earth, but that help us get from one continent to another and airplanes and all these things that are good. Lord, let us learn to live our lives together as foretaste for the world around us to see the way things ought to be and the way things will be. And let us live in a world that is so broken where we point eyes toward the forever kingdom, which we do cry out, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Hurry the day, Lord Jesus, when you return and make new what has been broken. We sing now with excitement and joy in response to your perfect love, the love of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.